Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you excited to be here? Okay, I am especially excited about our message today. I know the enemy's not, but I am because it's really crucial. So we are in part three, our final sermon in this series called The Art of War. You know, it's incredibly important, I believe, in our spiritual journey that we learn how to do spiritual battle. Far too often in church, we talk a lot about our flesh, our own desire to sin that comes from within. And we talk about the temptations that are in the world around us. But I think sometimes we forget that we have a very real spiritual enemy. In fact, at times people will say to me, well, why do we even have to talk about the devil in church? I want you to understand, this is not some kind of devil-glorifying series whatsoever. What we want to do is to better understand our enemy so that we can better fight against the forces of darkness. Basically, I think we all need to learn the art of spiritual warfare. And that's why Peter says this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert. I would say that to all of you here today. Stay alert. In other words, always be on your guard. <clears throat> Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I just want to point out here that the devil in this passage is compared to an animal in the cat family. Okay, I'm just saying, the, the cat family, not the dog family. The evil cat family, yeah. This is biblical. And according to Jesus, according to Jesus, Satan has a mission, right? Jesus came to bring life, even life abundant. He says the devil, the evil one, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. And he will come after you every single day. He will attack your finances. He'll attack your friendships. He'll attack your body. He'll attack your marriage. He'll attack your spiritual life. He is on the attack, trying to rob people of the blessings that God wants to bring into their lives. And so in this series, we've been looking at three different images or metaphors of our spiritual enemy so we can better understand his strategies and defeat his plans against us. A couple of weeks ago, we started with this. Satan is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He's the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Last week, we said that Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. And the one today is very, very important. In fact, it may be the most difficult, the most challenging one to hear. But Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. You know, I used to think that the devil would attack you when you're down, when you're weak, when you're vulnerable, and he will. But I've also learned that he loves to attack you when you're feeling strong, when things are going well. So maybe you're here this morning, you're in a very good season of life. You're thinking, well, things are good, so I don't have to worry. Ooh, that may be the time when you're the most vulnerable, when you're least alert, least on your guard. You see, not only does he kick you when you're down, he likes to attack you when things are going well. In fact, today, I'm going to show you a passage in the Old Testament that maybe some of you, maybe a lot of you are not familiar with. 
It's about a time when Satan poised a very strategic attack on King David. And Satan attacked David not when he was down, not when he was discouraged, but at the height of his power, at the height of his popularity. If you don't know about David's story, David started out as just a very ordinary little shepherd boy tending sheep. But then one day his people were at battle against an enemy army. And there was this giant Goliath who was intimidating everybody. And David just kind of steps onto the scene and says, why are you guys afraid of this dude? I mean, God is on our side. I'll take him on. And this little boy takes down this great enemy force, Goliath, and suddenly he is thrust into the limelight. I mean, he becomes a social media bomb, right? Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And before long, he's anointed to be the king of Israel. He rises to the very height of power. And not just that, David is a war hero. I mean, every time David goes out with his mighty men, they come home with the victory. He was so popular, imagine this, that the women would actually write songs about David, right? And then they would gather together in the streets and sing to him. They would sing these songs together. You know, my wife, Wendy, has yet to write a song about my strength, <laughs> my power, my glory. Yeah, but, but, but who knows, you know, maybe today after I preach the three messages and I drive home, I'm going to pull in the driveway my FJ and there she'll be, song in hand, right? Yeah, declaring her honor, her love, her respect for my godliness, my strength, whatever else turns her on. Do you think that'll happen? Probably not. But you can dream, right? A guy can dream. But, you know, this guy, he is at the height of his game. He's killing it. They're singing about this dude. And hear me on this, he stumbles, not when he's weak, not when he's vulnerable, but because of his pride. Now, if I was to go out on the streets and just interview people and ask the question, what was David's greatest sin? What do you think I would hear from most people? Anybody? Okay, I've got adultery. I've got murder. Yeah, I think a lot of people might say that, right? That first of all, adultery, that's what he's known for, adultery with Bathsheba. And if they think a little bit deeper, well, maybe it's murder because not only did he commit adultery with Uriah's wife, he then sent Uriah right up to the front lines on purpose to have him killed. So maybe it was murder. But I would argue that if we take a step back, we can find a root sin that perhaps led to the adultery and eventually to the murder. In fact, I think David's greatest struggle, along with many of us, was the root sin battling with pride. Pride. Track with me on this one. Because of David's sin of adultery, four people indirectly died. If you know the story, the little baby died, Amnon died, Absalom died, and of course he had Uriah killed. Four people died. But because of David's sin of pride, we're going to look at this story in just a second, 70,000 people were actually killed simply because of the ugly, horrendous sin of pride. And that is where our enemy attacks us as well. Not when we're weak and vulnerable necessarily, not just then, but when we're proud. So let's dive into this story. First Chronicles 21 tells us exactly how Satan attacked. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. What did he do? He came at David when David was confident, when David was strong, when David was victorious, and he incited him to take a census of Israel. I mean, David He's crushing it. He's at the top of his game. David's favorite song on Spotify was, we are the champions, my friends. We'll keep on fighting till the end. I mean, he's winning his battles. Things are going well. And Satan comes up and says, hey, dude, 
man, you're killing it. You're pretty powerful. You're pretty amazing. I mean, look at you. You've gone out there. You've conquered all these kingdoms, and now you've got all these people under your command. You know what you ought to do? You ought to total them all up just to see how strong, how powerful you really are. I mean, we can't just guess about your domination and strength. You should take a census to just see how mighty, exactly how powerful, how worthy you are, David. Now, you may look at this and think, was it really wrong to take a census? The answer is no. The census itself was not wrong. What was wrong was the motive behind the census. Because motives matter to God. Taking a census is not a bad thing. In the Bible, Moses actually took a census. But the motive behind Moses' census was entirely different. Moses was tallying up how many people did God redeem and rescue from bondage. I mean, that represented bringing glory to God because we're gonna see how many people God set free. So with Moses, the goal of the census was to bring honor to God. With David, the goal of the census was to give honor to himself. That was disgusting in the eyes of God. Now, let me just slow down a little bit here, talk to you about pride in my own life and how I view it. I generally don't think of myself as a very proud person, not on a regular basis at least, but I'm also very aware of the fact that pride, it's so deceptive, right? We can easily fall into it. We, we can easily be duped about it. So I've got to keep my guard up at all times. For example, in my, in my ministry as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, you know, that can be an area where I slip into pride. I think God keeps me fairly well grounded, at least until Jason made that announcement earlier, you know, then threw me a little bit. But you know, for, for, the, for the most part, though, you know, I think about this, you know, in, in my life, you got to understand, I did not have any desire to go into full-time ministry. Not, not a bit. God kind of drug me into this kicking and screaming. And so I'm clearly reminded of the fact that apart from God leading me, God equipping me, none of this would have happened. None of this would be possible, right? And so, so I recognize if somebody says something kind about my preaching, about my biblical knowledge, my walk with the Lord, I quickly remind myself that it is all of God's grace and his gifting. None of it would be possible otherwise. But you know how sneaky pride is? Pride is sneaky. And so whenever I do something well, right? Not just in ministry, whatever area of life, maybe in ministry, you know, I preach a good sermon, maybe with my music, I play a cool lick on my bass, whatever area of life, when I do something well, it's so tempting to think about how hard I've worked, right? Or how gifted I am or how much I deserve such and such. In other words, I find I am not immune to pride. I may keep it buried deep down inside, but there's plenty to go around. The bottom line is this, you have pride and I have pride. And if we don't concentrate and keep it in check, it can get ugly. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. (laughs) Ugly. (laughs) And Satan, man, he loves to attack us. That's when he most likes to attack us, I believe. It's when we're proud. You know, as a pastor, my role is pretty simple. It's just to point people to Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all for his glory. But, you know, sometimes when I'm weak, when I'm vulnerable, when I'm full of sin, suddenly maybe I want some of the glory, kind of like David. And I got to watch that. You know, I can say, well, let me tell you about my church. Let me tell you about our offerings. Let me tell you how many people I've led to Christ. Let me just count them up. It's the very same thing. It's not pleasing to God. See, this was David's issue. And folks, others could see it too. Other people could see it. It is easy for us to see it in other people, isn't it? More so than ourselves. In fact, some of you right now, I know you're out here and you're going, I am so glad my husband is here listening to this message. 
He needs it so much. I just, I hope you just preach it, Brian. Preach it. Smack him in the middle of the eyes. Crush that pride. Listen, ladies, this may be for you too. Or vice versa, okay? I'm not picking on gender. I'm picking on everybody, right? I'm an equal opportunity picker on her this morning. And, and if I haven't offended you yet, just hang with me. I'll get to you, all right? We'll get there. Pride, it's so hard to see in the mirror. It's easy to see in other people. So difficult to see in ourselves. You know, Joab, he's a guy who's very, very, very loyal to David. He's the commander of the troops. He saw it in David very clearly. Take a look at 1 Chronicles 21, 6 to 7. Joab got the instructions to do the counting. It says, but Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbers, in the numbering. In other words, I'm counting, but, but I'm leaving these two tribes out of it. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. I'm going to honor these people. I'm going to keep them out of this mess. In fact, it says this command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. If you read through it, it's a heartbreaking story about how 70,000 people actually died simply because of David's sin of pride. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Which was worse, adultery or pride? You see, adultery is pretty bad, but I would argue that pride was the cause of that too. Sure it was, right? I'm the king of Israel. See that woman down there, man, she's looking pretty fine. I want some of that. I deserve it. I'm the king. When David committed the sin of adultery, this is what he said to Nathan the prophet. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. But when David committed the sin of pride, in this story, he actually adds a little adjective before his sin. He didn't just say, I've sinned against the Lord. He said, I have sinned greatly by doing this. I have sinned greatly. The deadly sin of pride. If you're taking notes, here's what I hope you'll understand. Here's what I hope you'll get. Write this down. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Some of you, you don't even realize it right now, but you are so, so vulnerable because pride has taken root and it creeps in on us. If you know the story of Uzziah, Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. He did something pretty cool. He had this innovative war idea. Because of that, he rose to the height of fame and power, but his pride ended up taking him down. This is what the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 26, 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. People, pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride, it can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy, your walk with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can cause you to lose credibility in your witness. Pride took him down. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. I mean, how do we see pride around us? Or maybe more importantly, how does it impact us, right? How does it manifest itself in us? Or maybe when we walk around thinking, you know what? I'm so holy, right? Or I would never do that, what they're doing over there. I mean, can you believe the way she carries herself? Can you believe the way he walks around acting so holy? I mean, I would never do that. I'm in church every Sunday. I know God's word. I would never come across that way. In fact, we just need to pray for him because I got to tell you what's going on in their life right now. Right? I'm not going to call it gossip. I'm going to call it prayer. Right? Just need to pray for them. Or how about this? I'm a self-made person. 
man. Yeah, I got a lot. So I worked hard. I earned it. I deserve it. Pride. Or maybe it manifests itself this way. Who are you to tell me what to do, right? I'm the one doing everything around here, right? Who are you to tell me it's my fault? This isn't my fault. This marriage problem, is, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Don't tell me what's my problem. Pride. Let me tell you how many people work for me. Let me tell you how much money I've made. Let me tell you how important I am to this organization, this corporation. Pride, pride, pride. You may never be more vulnerable, never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Now, let me ask this. How does God feel toward the proud? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us very clearly in James 4, 6. Look at this. God opposes the proud. You know, the Greek word translated as opposes there, it's a military term that means to bring the full force of an army against something. So that means when you walk around saying, you know, I deserve the glory that God deserves, God has every bit of power poised against you. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then he says, submit yourselves. The Greek word translated as submit here, another military term, it means to rank under voluntarily, to choose submission to one of higher rank. God, I fully submit to you. Submit yourselves then to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, you have the presence and the power of God in your life. And after you submit, then you can resist the devil. Get away from me, devil. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today, not in my house, not with my family, not with the people I love. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Not because you're strong, but because the power of God living in you is stronger than the power of the evil one. And then he says this, come near to God and God will come near to you. Think about that. Come near to God and God will come near to you. And then what do you do? You don't elevate yourself. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You humble yourself continually before God. When it comes to God and the evil one, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to the powers of good and the forces of evil, there's no middle ground, okay? You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. Bible says this, friendship with the world means enmity against God. Friendship with the world means enmity against God. See, that's why we submit. We voluntarily rank under. God, your word is my guide. Your spirit is who empowers me. I want your will, God, your will. God, I submit to you. And then after you submit, then you have the power to resist the devil and he will flee. You know, the reason we're never more vulnerable than when we're full of pride is because essentially what we're doing is we're declaring our independence from God. Right, we're saying, God, I don't need you. I've got this. But humility, on the flip side, that's declaring full dependence upon God. God, I need you every moment. I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word to direct my path. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for every decision. I need you to give me strength when I'm weak. I need you to help me love this person. I need you every single moment. Now that's humility. And when we humble ourselves, the Lord lifts us up. There's no middle ground. It's all Jesus, all Jesus, all Jesus, because he is everything. 
You know, why? Why do you suppose God opposes the proud so much? Why does he bring the full force of everything he has against those who are prideful? Well, it's very likely because all the way back before the creation, Lucifer, one that God loved, he battled this root sin of pride and it took him down. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God created three archangels at least, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer, man, he was the beautiful one. He was the worshiping angel. He was kind of like the worship leader. But he became full of pride and he wanted to be like God, right? He wanted to usurp God. He wanted to take God's place. And so God cast him down. And what was his big weakness? Well, he said over and over again, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. If you look at Isaiah 14, five different times, Lucifer declared his sovereignty, his will. Check this out. He said, I will ascend to the heavens, pride. He said, I will raise my throne above the stars, pride. He said, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, pride. He said, I will ascend to the top of the clouds, pride. He said, I will make myself like the most high, pride. Lucifer was all about himself. Jesus, he was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my will. Jesus was all about thy will. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus knew what was coming, that he would have to give his life and suffer in a more brutal way than words can even describe, he cried out to God. He said, Daddy, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup be removed from me. But then in submission to God, he said, I willingly rank under you. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Not my plan, God, your plan. It's not about me. It's not about my importance. It's about your glory. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. Not my will, but your will be done. People hear me on this. Humility is not weakness. When you are humble, that's when God fills you up with his strength. You're never, ever weaker than when you're full of pride, but you're never, ever stronger than when you're humble before God. Because when you submit to God, he fills you up with your, his spirit, rather, and then pff, we have power. We have the power to say, Satan, I resist you, right? You have no business here, not in my house, not today, not with the people I love. See, we are in a spiritual battle. If you take nothing else away from this series, please hear this. You are under attack, <laughs> It's not if you're under attack, you are under attack. So how do you fight? Well, listen, you have the armor of God. Take a look at Ephesians 6, 13 to 17. It says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Remember, the truth is what's going to set you free with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I don't know if you've caught it here. We talked about this a while back. You have one offensive weapon here. What is it called? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the gladius, has power. Know it and use it, people. We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. We fight with the word. So whenever the devil starts to attack your pride, and you know how this goes, 
hey, man, you got it going on, right? You're doing fine. You don't need anybody else. You can do this on your own. I mean, look at you. You got the shoes, you got the purse, you got the house, the car, the name. You got this. You don't need anybody's help. Hey, don't tell anybody that you're hurting. You don't need anybody's advice. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. I mean, who are they, right? They can't tell you what to do in this situation. You got this on your own. You got this, right? You don't even need the church, man. You can just do this thing by yourself. Or or how about this one? You know, they need to show you more respect. I mean, you're the only one who's getting things done around here. The devil has a million of them, right, to attack our pride. Now, you draw the sword. You quote the Bible. You go to God's word. In fact, I want to tell you this. I don't know if you know this or not, but every week online, we have discussion guides that go along with the messages. And in this series, every week at the end of the discussion guide, I've given you several pages of scripture that you can fight back with depending on what your battle is. So I want you to go online and check that out. Start using the word. You quote the word when the enemy's attacking you. I will humble myself before the Lord and he will lift me up. Because you will never leave me and forsake me. Because you're my rock, my fortress, and my strength, I will glorify you. Not to us be the glory, but to you, Lord, for your goodness and faithfulness. Less of me, more of you. I submit to you, God, because you're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are righteous and true. You're my friend and you're my savior. You're the one who sent your son to die for me. You're the one who has forgiven me of my sins and given me eternal life. And because the devil is a liar who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus Christ is greater. Greater is the one who is in me than he who is in this world. And because of all that, I submit to God, I resist the devil, and he will flee. You are in a spiritual battle. And let me just tell you, you don't have what it takes to win it. You just don't. That's why you're never stronger than when you're humble, broken, dependent upon God. Because when you're weak, that's when he becomes strong. He becomes strong in your life. So here's my encouragement for all of you today. Be weak today, okay? Be courageous enough to ask for his help. Call out on him. You don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You were not designed to do it on your own. You were designed to depend on God and his people. You're never, ever weaker, more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you're humble before God. Let's pray. Lord, I know that as I've searched the scriptures, as I've been studying, preparing for these messages, and thinking about these things, that this area is so crucial. And we just acknowledge, we know that the enemy, he attacks our mind with lies. He's the deceiver. He accuses our heart with these accusations and tries to bring guilt and shame in our lives. But boy, he destroys through attacking our will with pride. So God, I pray first and foremost for myself, for all of us here, that we would be alert. The biggest mistake we can make is to think that the enemy is not messing with us when he is. God, I pray that we would recognize that we are weak, we are vulnerable when we walk around thinking, I got this, I got this. But there's so much strength in depending upon you, doing life with you moment by moment. From the time we wake up saying, God, I need you for this day. 
God, I need you as I drive into work. God, I need you as I go into this meeting today. God, I need you in this lunch appointment. I need you just throughout my day in every interaction I have, I need you to be present. And Lord, remind us that the battle that we have, we don't have the strength to do it in and of ourselves. We have to submit to you first before we resist the devil. So God, teach us to continually humble ourselves before you. And then teach us how to use your word, the sword of the spirit, to fight back. To know your word, to use your word, to depend on your word, to resist the devil. And that's how we have victory. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity over the last few weeks to expose some of the lies of the evil one. And I pray that they would sink into our lives and we would carry these truths with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.